0: You're listening to ReachMD on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Inspired to Act, featuring international leaders in the field of medicine. Inspired to Act is presented by PrimeMed, your leader in continuing medical education. Here is your host, founding chair, Department of Neurology, Brigham and Women's Hospital, professor of neurology at Harvard Medical School, and senior medical advisor for PrimeMed, Dr.
1: Martin A. Samuels. This week on Inspired to Act, we're going to try out a new format, which is answering some questions that have been sent in by our listeners. So let's take our first question.
0: My patient is a 74-year-old woman who was wakened from sleep with severe dizziness, by which she meant that the room was spinning. She was taken to an emergency department where an MRI and an MRA were normal. She was placed on Meclizine and sent home, but she continues to experience episodes of severe vertigo without hearing symptoms. On the day of the first attack, she'd gone to the beauty parlor and felt well when she retired for the night. What is this?
1: Well, this is actually an extremely common problem that we face in the neurologist's office and also in the emergency department. It's the problem of dizziness. And I think most doctors out there who hear about the complaint of dizziness have a bad reaction themselves. They don't much like dizzy patients. They don't know how to approach them. And uh, what I think I might want to do here is to give you a little mini seminar on how to deal with a dizzy patient, just briefly, and then tell you something about what I think this particular patient has, which I think is pretty clear from that story. Dizziness is a layperson's complaint. It's not a medical term, but it generally means one of four things. So if you simply sit back in your chair and say to the person, what do you mean dizzy, and let the person just speak, don't interrupt them, they'll respond in one of four ways. The first is what we call vertigo. Vertigo is an illusion or hallucination of motion. Very easy for people to recognize it and to describe it to their doctor. And you'll notice that this patient actually had vertigo. That was what she was describing. Another common kind of uh, dizziness is the feeling of impending faint, or what we call near syncope. This is caused by decreased cerebral blood flow and causes that feeling of faintness that we all recognize when we hyperventilate. That gives us this sensation. A third kind of dizziness is what we would call disequilibrium by which I mean a gait disorder of some kind. The person says I feel unstable on my feet, I stagger, I feel like I'm going to fall. And the fourth kind of dizziness is a metaphor for anxiety where the person says I'm dizzy, I'm dizzy all the time, doctor, I'm dizzy day and night and they have that anxiety in their voice. They're using the word dizzy to mean anxious. So the first step in the workup or evaluation of a person who complains of dizziness is to let the person speak and decide what proportion of the person's problem falls into each of those four categories. And in this this case that you just heard about, there's no doubt that this patient has vertigo. She wakes up in the middle of the night and the room is spinning, goes to the emergency department, and you can see that the emergency physicians got concerned and carried out a magnetic resonance image and an angiogram, because they were worried that this was vertebro-basilar disease. But in actual fact, the story sounds very, very typical of benign paroxysmal positional vertigo, or Baragny's disease. This is the most common kind of vertigo, and vertigo is the most common kind of dizziness. So if you want to know something about dizziness, this is the disease to know the best. And one of the clues was that she had been to the beauty parlor that day. This is what I call the beauty parlor dizzy syndrome. So this this woman went to the beauty parlor. She put her head back in the sink probably to have her hair washed, and that was done probably vigorously. And what happened was a little tiny bit of calcium that normally resides in part of the inner ear the utricle, fell into a part of the inner ear where it doesn't belong, the posterior vertical semicircular duct. And what that means is that that duct has now become gravity sensitive. So when she turns over in bed that night and accidentally puts that posterior vertical canal perpendicular to the ground, that calcium starts moving and produces this extreme vertigo. You can test this in the office or in the emergency department just to be sure that you're right about the diagnosis by repeating the position, putting the person in the position. This is called the Dix-Hallpike Maneuver and watching very carefully for nystagmus and reproduction of the symptoms. And I would predict in this patient that if you put that patient in the position that caused the dizziness, let's say left ear down, she would get a reproduction of those symptoms and her eyes would jump. And in fact, she, you'd see a rotational kind of torsional nystagmus when you looked at it. If you left her in that position and didn't move, the thing would stop. That episode would stop. But if you sat her back up, it would all come back but in reverse as the calcium moved in the opposite direction. There's a very, very nice little cure for this called the otolith repositioning maneuver, which means we're going to put that calcium back where it belongs in the utricle. This is done in one of several ways, but the most famous one is named after its founder, the Epley maneuver, named after John Epley, an otolaryngologist from Portland, Oregon, who cleverly noticed this. And I can't describe this to you on the radio. You ought to go to the internet and look up the Epley maneuver, and you'll see the maneuver, it's very simple, simply rolling the patient around, putting that calcium back into the utricle from whence it came. And lo and behold, you've got a cure. When you see this kind of nystagmus reproduced by that position, you can be sure that that's a peripheral problem, not really vertebral disease. We could have saved that person a magnetic resonance angiogram and a magnetic resonance image. And luckily, or we hope, that the patient didn't have some invasive thing done to her to treat stroke, when in fact, all she had was this benign peripheral problem. So I think that's a, a pretty... Good example of a common problem: benign paroxysmal positional vertigo. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Inspired to Act on ReachMD Radio on XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Martin Samuels, and today we're doing something a little unique by answering some of our listeners' questions. If you'd like to have your question answered on our program, email us at inspired at reachmd.com, and we'll consider your question for answer on the air. So let's go on to our next question.
0: I have a 27-year-old woman, patient, who has episodes of numbness. These spells begin in the hand and then gradually spread to the face. When the face is maximally affected, the hand has recovered. The entire episode lasts about 20 minutes. It is not followed by a headache. Her only past history is prominent motion sickness. She is concerned about MS and is requesting that an MRI be performed.
1: Well, this is another very, very common problem, and uh, this is basic blocking and tackling in neurology, if there ever was one, and that's the story of numbness with the patient worried about a serious disease. So this patient has got a complaint and is worried about a serious disease. So our job here, of course, is to, one, make the the right diagnosis, and two, reassure this person about what this really really is. Now, we know right away that this is not an attack of MS, and we know that because it's much too brief. It's only about 20 minutes long. Even the most brief attacks of multiple sclerosis would be days in length, maybe at the very inside, maybe 24 hours, but certainly not 20 minutes of a migrating episode. So we know right away that this is not MS, and we're going to reassure her that it's not MS. But in order to reassure a patient that they don't have something, it's been my experience that you've got to tell them what it is that they do have they They need to know what it is after all they've experienced something real and what did she experience? Think about this This is an episode of numbness, an unusual sensation. It starts in her hand and then goes to her face. It didn't start all at once in the in the hand and face, it started in the hand, and then it spread to the face and One of the characteristic features of this one is that by the time it got to the face, it was already gone in the hand, right It was disappearing. And then it disappeared in the face, and the whole thing was over. So you think to yourself, what kind of an episode could be 20 minutes long? Well, you think, could it be a transient ischemic attack? Very unlikely, not only because of the person's age. This is a young person. Not very likely that she would have a transient ischemic attack. But the main point is, this episode did not come all at once in the hand and face, as a TIA would come. It came in the hand and spread to the face, and by the time it got to the face, it was gone in the hand. So it couldn't possibly have been a transient ischemic attack, even if you take out of the equation the fact that the patient is very young and unlikely to have a transient ischemic attack. So you might say, well, could it be an epileptic seizure? Epileptic seizure can spread. We all learned about the so-called Jacksonian march, where a seizure starts in one place, and then spreads to another place. But the pace of spread is much, much faster than this. A seizure, when it spreads from one place to another, spreads in a matter of seconds from one place to another. And many patients can't even remember the spread. It's somebody else who was with them who reports that the patient first noticed something in the hand and then it went to the face. The whole thing happens very, very quickly. So this is not likely to be a seizure either. So what is it? Well, it's absolutely certainly a migraine. You can say that with a probably 99% certainty. This is a migraine because it lasted about 20 minutes, because it spread from one place to another in a leisurely fashion. You say, well, there was no headache. I mean, how could I diagnose a migraine? Many, many times, migraine patients don't have headaches. We call these acephalgic migraines, and in fact, The essence of migraine, the real core of migraine, has nothing to do with headache at all. It's a neurological disease, probably caused by what's known as the spreading depression of Leao, named after the scientist who discovered it, by dropping some neurotransmitter on the surface of of an experimental brain and noticing a negative wave slowly moving across the cerebral cortex. That's the essence of migraine. Some migraines are followed by headache, Some of those headaches are mild, some are moderate, and some, of course, are very severe. Most patients, and unfortunately most doctors, think that migraine is a severe pulsating headache associated with phonophobia and photophobia, That's only a small percentage of patients. Many people with migraine have mild headaches or have no headaches at all, as was the case uh, in this patient. We also know this is migraine because this patient gives us that history of motion sickness in the past. Motion sickness runs together with migraine, and it's very common for people to actually have a sensation of motion during their migraine. Now, of course, this neurological phenomenon that was described in this patient could be combined with a headache, and the headache could follow this neurological phenomenon. And if that occurs, we call that a migraine with aura. So the aura is the neurological phenomenon, and then comes the headache. When there's a headache without an aura, we call it migraine without aura. When there's an aura and no headache, as it was the case here, we would call that acephalgic migraine. That is a migraine without a headache. Nonetheless, this is migraine absolutely for sure. Because of its pace, because of the movement from one place to the other in this sort of leisurely fashion, and because of that 20-minute magical number, the spreading depression of layout takes about 20 minutes to spread across the cortex. So most of these spells are 20 minutes plus or minus 5. So what I would do here is say to the patient, look, of course, after doing a careful neurological examination, I would turn to the patient and say, you've got migraine. They say, well, I don't have headaches And I would give them an explanation, very much like the explanation I just gave you, so that they understood what migraine was all about. And whether or not I would actually treat this would depend on whether these things were recurring at a rate that was really a nuisance for this patient. Because after all, headache is not a problem. I'm not going to give her a headache medication. If I'm going to treat asyphalgic migraine, I would have to give her a prophylactic medication, something she would take every day of her life, in order to prevent these spells. And the only reason I would ever do that was because there were so many spells that they actually interfered with her life. When migraine is associated with headache, of course, we have another approach, but that's not the point of this case. So I think there's no doubt from this history that this patient has migraine. We can reassure her that she does not have multiple sclerosis and we can certainly save her and us the anxiety of doing a magnetic resonance image study or a spinal tap or any other test. That's all we have time for this week on Inspired to Act on ReachMD Radio, XM 160. Once again, if you have some questions that you'd like us to consider to be answered on the air, email us at inspired at reachmd.com. Thanks for listening.
0: You've been listening to Inspired to Act on ReachMD on XM 160, the channel for medical professionals, featuring international leaders in the field of medicine, hosted by Dr. Martin A. Samuels and presented by PrimeMed. The leader in continuing medical education.
2: At PrimeMed, we believe in you, the practicing healthcare professional, and we support your commitment to your patients. Our goal is to give you the tools to stay up to date with the latest developments in your field, whether you treat day-to-day patients and their average and not-so-average illnesses or patients dealing with diverse chronic conditions. PrimeMed CME programs are designed for you. We know you each learn differently. That's why we offer education in a variety of formats. Live, because you like to interact with peers and faculty. Online, because it's convenient and available to fit your schedule. And in print, because of its portability. Regardless of the medium, Prime delivers knowledge that touches patients. Primed CME is developed through extensive collaboration with leading professional associations, academic institutions, hospitals, technology companies, and over 1,500 prominent faculty. With over 120 live meetings and 300-plus online CME activities, 350,000 healthcare professionals globally trust Primed as their source to stay better informed and educated in today's always-on world. We invite you to join us in person at an innovative, cutting-edge meeting and clinical education program. If it's more convenient, visit PrimeMed online. For more information, visit www.pri-med.com. That's www.primed.com. Thank you for learning with PrimeMed.